You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me is Paul Doroshenko. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, so, you had this interesting suggestion at the beginning of the year that uh, we should reach out to people on Twitter and get people to give us their thoughts on uh, questions that they had in relation to driving law. And I thought that would be a good way to start the podcast. And I, I feel kind of bad because you told me that you had all of these topics that you wanted to cover right away and there's so many things to do and we didn't really get into Vavilov yet, but what the heck? We're never going to get, we did get we to should Vavilov. Make this we a, got we to should Vavilov make this an annual last thing. week. Did last we, week yeah, was our Vavilov extra- extravaganza. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I thought there was forget. more that you wanted to go into. As I, no. I finally read most of it. Oh, you finally read well, it, so now you can actually go into talk it. Talk about it. But the, um, I think we should make this an annual thing. I think once a year we should do, or maybe maybe twice a year. Once we a year. Do, the uh, driving law mailbag. Yeah, well, it's not really a mailbag anymore, it's is the, it? The it's Twitter, the Twitter bag. <laughs> the at bag. Yeah. <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> yeah. Don't at me, bro. Anyway, um, you got a uh, lot of new followers on Twitter this week. I did. Uh, thank you to you for suggesting that people end their year by following me, and uh, bigger thank you to Keith Baldry, who... Ended the year by... 35,000 yeah. followers and ends the year by saying, follow Kyla. <laughs> I fell asleep at like 10.30 and when I woke up, all of a sudden I had like a thousand million bajillion different notifications. I was, I was flummoxed. My New Year's resolution came to me back in December or November. I decided to start following more people who, it was after the election, following more people who followed me. And the reason I didn't before was just really time because I'd like to research people a little bit before I follow them. Mm-hmm. And I do have a few criteria, like I wasn't following people who had less than like 200 uh, followers and I went and, you know, I'd read their tweets and now I'm down to like, if it's, if you got, you know, 20 followers and up and you look like you're a real person, chances are I'll follow you. And um, that was my New Year's resolution because I kept thinking, these people were nice enough to follow me. Well, I guess we should also announce the one thing that happened on December 31st that to some extent relates to this podcast. Yes. This podcast, among other endeavors, was uh, the winner of a Sea Lobby Award. I don't know if it's a Sea Lobby. I like to call it a Clobby. Either Canadian way. Canadian Law, uh, law Legal Blogs Awards. Award. Yeah. And it's awarded my, every year. Yeah. This year I won for something best overall social social presence something best overall multi-platform multi-platform that included this podcast so congratulations to the driving law podcast and of course kyla's got her video series or youtube series cases that should have gone to the supreme court of canada but didn't and um and then we've got our uh, video series where we test different devices on uh or different uh, substances that could contaminate a breath sample can you fail it Mm -hmm. And you've got your blog, Mm -hmm. um, and you write for many other things, and you also appear on other podcasts. So, yes, you are uh, everywhere. There's your Instagram, 
Um, and uh, I usually I'm just re-Instagramming your Instagram. <laughs> uh, your Instagram probably could have more followers, but it's not just pictures of you. It seems that the people who get followed just put pictures of themselves. Yeah, well, anyway, let's get to our mailbag, Paul. To the mailbag. To the mailbag. So. Where are we going to start? Yeah, I think you should make sure that you give the here. person the call out. I, I, I'm, I've got a plan here. So, at Sean Coakley asks, how do I get off an excessive speeding ticket? And then the crying laughing emoji. That's a that's a good question, actually. And I thought, of, when I first thought that, I, you know, could see that he was being cynical. Uh, and then I thought, you know, let's print that one off anyway and uh, have a discussion about it. So I don't know how you want to come at some of these questions well, because I mean, this some is of a, the things a we, bit of a broad question. It's a very broad question. I um, guess you know if he's being a little bit tongue in cheek, we could be a little bit tongue in cheek back and go hire us. Ha 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 ha. No, um, or don't don't uh, don't, don't speed. speed. <laughs> Look, people are going to get caught excessively speeding. It's why the law is there, because people do it. Um, the best thing... Th and chances are you've got a, you know, high-performance car, and uh, in the olden days, you wouldn't be able to go that fast. Sorry, the best thing is... The best thing that I can recommend if you're um, given a ticket for excessive speeding that you don't agree with, you think you were going a slower speed, sit down as soon as you possibly can after the incident and take detailed notes about what happened, where you were going, why you were going there, how you know what speed you were going, all of the things that the officer said to you, what you said to the officer, and uh, and write to my lawyer at the top of the page. And, so and write it out. Don't do it, it on out. your phone because no. anybody can change that or you can change it later on. Yep. Handwrite it on a piece of paper, date it and write to my lawyer at the top because um, then it's privileged. And, uh, and then if you're ever uh, go to trial and you're asked to testify about your speed, you can say, I have these contemporaneous notes that I made to refresh my memory. And case law says if it's recorded in the notes, it's generally likely to be reliable. So long as you're truthful in your notes. So make sure that if you feel that you're... Well, don't fabricate your notes. Yeah. No, but I mean, my point is that um, do your best to write detailed notes of everything you remember if you believe that you're innocent of it. Now, what if you're not sure if you're innocent or you're not innocent and you still want to fight the ticket, Kyla? Well, um, if you're not going to hire a lawyer for an excessive speeding ticket, which I would highly recommend... Get thee to the library at the Justice Institute and start reading laser and radar manuals because you're going to need to know how those devices work and where the pitfalls are in order to uh, do an effective cross-examination of the officer. You're going to have to learn a lot of science related to speed measurement. It's quite problematic. I hate the word problematic, but it's a, a difficult and... Um, fraught with uh, difficulty issue to cross-examine a police officer in circumstances where, you know, you're not going to give evidence at the end uh, and you're a self-represented accused because you're standing there and you really kind of want to give evidence. I've watched lots of self-represented accused sort of sip, sink their own ship uh, in those circumstances, which is, again, you know, obviously we're it's self-serving, but we're saying... <laughs> Get a lawyer. Get a lawyer. It uh, doesn't have to be us. The, the thing is, the consequences of an excessive speeding ticket are with you, when you add everything up, are more than the cost of the lawyer. And, you know, 
I'll tell you part of our process uh, when we're defending these things is we make sure that we are going to put the officer through the test. Um, when they're being cross-examined, we are going to test the evidence. That's the purpose of the cross-examination. And, uh, and testing the evidence is, is painful because you've got a lawyer there who has been trained on laser and radar um, and who has the manual there in front of them. Uh, and you're a police officer testifying and you're under oath. So it's kind of like doing your grade 12 physics exam uh, your grade 12 physics exam is um, is under oath, and, and uh, you've got to be correct all the way through. So, um, anyway, there you go. There you go. Three, three useful Question tips. number one. Well, answered. yeah, I would, I would just add one more thing. Call Grant Cockatrue, friend of the podcast, former guest on this podcast on at least two occasions. He knows everything you need to know when it comes to speeding. But he only helps lawyers, so... Yeah, we'll call him and then he'll tell you to call a lawyer. Um, okay, moving on. Next question from uh, at Bill Longma. Um, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. One punch man on Twitter. Um, he asks, how deep is the common law? I was waiting for you to jump in with your song. How deep is your love? I'm not singing no. that song. Okay. I'll pick a better song to sing this <laughs> podcast. How deep is the common law on dash cam footage or video taken at the scene of an incident? Are there any grounds for the opposing party to have it disallowed? Does any group, for example, EMS, police, special people heard at the scene, etc., have special standing with regard to being recorded? There's multiple questions in there. there I think is. you should break it down, and I think this is for you. Well, I think, first of all, the common... I, I haven't searched the law. Yeah. I mean, the, the common law in relation to video footage is generally, as long as it, uh, somebody can come to court to establish its authenticity, um, then it's likely to be admitted. Um, and then the question goes to how much weight is given the information captured on the video. Video is a relatively objective indicator of uh, events that occurred, but depending on the perspective, the video might not tell the whole story. Somebody fabricates a video they are in big, big trouble because they are fabricating evidence for the purpose of court. So there's a, more or less a presumption that it's going to be accurate to whatever use it's got. And incidentally, there is a driving law case, Regina and Gill, uh, where Mr. Gill fabricated or was found to by the Court of Appeal to have fabricated video evidence in a Court of Appeal proceeding. Uh, on an appeal, and uh, was later sentenced uh, for uh, offenses against the administration of justice to six months in jail. So don't fabricate video. <laughs> so, But the point is that video is generally accepted as reliable, but sometimes it can tell you something and sometimes it can't. I mean, it depends yeah. on what's in the video. Absolutely. And um, so if you're looking at grounds uh, to have a video disallowed, you could either question its authenticity, which can be done through cross-examination or through requesting disclosure, further disclosure, if it's a, a video being relied on by the Crown. Um, and as far as people having special standing about being recorded, there is no law that says that you can't record a police officer or a paramedic or a person hurt at the scene. You will look like an asshole if you're standing there taking a video, and I've seen this in files. If you're standing there taking a video of an injured person on the ground, you'll look like a dick, so don't do it. Yes, I would concur. And... Um, Police, I think the police issue is a, is a good question because uh, oftentimes police will say, stop recording me, don't record me. If you're in a public place 
police officer or not, you are able to be recorded. The law assumes that you consent to it. You don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy when you're standing in the middle of a public street. If you are in a less public place or a private place, then you may run into issues when you're making recordings. But since this is a driving law podcast, I'm going to assume that this question relates to uh, dash cam footage that's taken in public spaces like roadways. The, um, the issue that happens with the police is that there's lots of police officers who seem to feel that they can just order you around. Um, this is not a police state. And the police are not supposed to just order you around. And a lot of things that they do when they're ordering even drivers around are constitutional violations. Uh, you know, we see police officers pull people over and just demand that the person removes the gum from their mouth. And the police officer's got no suspicion, no grounds to make that order. They're not taking a breath test or anything like that at the time. It's just a full-on constitutional violation um, when the uh, when the person is being subject to that uh, that authority of the police. So the police will often have this view of what they think the video evidence and, and its use and so forth, um, and whether or not you can video them. And uh, the reality is, yes, of course you can video them. But what happens when you've got that video? What happens when it's in your phone, for example, and it's relevant evidence? They're going to seize your phone and hold it as part of the investigation. <laughs> And that's a big problem. Which um, is why if you are making a video, be either surreptitious or subtle about it. If you start shoving a camera in people's faces, that's a good way to get your phone seized. And if you are shoving your camera into a police officer's face and you take it further, and the police officer believes that you're assaulting them or you're obstructing justice, then you can be investigated. And again, your phone can be seized for the purpose of establishing that. Okay, Paul, here's a question for you. I know you had to do some research on this, uh, this question um, from at uh, Fanson. Uh, she asks, with all the vehicles using LED lights, some of which are bright enough to light up a football stadium, are there no laws that limit the candle power of headlights? I've been wearing sunglasses at night, but that is not a very safe thing when you move away from streetlights. Well, this is an interesting thing because I go onto Amazon and I see all the different lights you can buy. I bought replacement um, lights for our, our smart car for the office. And I have no idea whether or not they are permissible lights, uh, they're LED lights. When I'm driving, I don't notice that the lights are that much brighter. I do have difficulty driving at night, especially in the rain in the lower mainland. I think probably a lot of people do when they're my age. But when it comes to the regulation of lights, um, the actual bulbs that are sold in Canada, that is regulated by federal legislation. Um, and it's uh, the federal government, it's the uh, uh, LAMPS Reflective Devices and Associated uh, Equipment Technical Standards document that is released by Transport Canada. And those light bulbs should comply with that technical standard. Now, of course, what does this mean? you're not going to be able to stop that car that's coming at you and ask them whether or not their lights meet the technical standard document. And no police officer is going to pull you over and say, oh, your lights are too bright. They don't meet the technical standard document because you can't tell that with the naked eye. Exactly. You have to measure them with a, a lumometer. Well, the is other thing. What it's called? Well, it's not just that. It's okay. So there's also the issue of, uh, of where the lights are pointed and how they're mounted. Um, so the federal legislation is governing what lights can be purchased uh, and what lights you can have in your vehicle, but the Provincial Motor Vehicle Act regulations um, regulate sort of how they can be pointed. And it's, you know, 
dual beam lamps have uh, their top edge horizontal cut off at 125 millimeters to 125 millimeters to the vertical and so forth and it's all set out in a schedule in the back of the Motor Vehicle Act regulations and honestly like is any police officer getting out there with their ruler to measure on an exact flat slope uh, the lights of a vehicle. So I would say the only time this is going to happen is when the police want to inspect your vehicle for other reasons. And they'll pull you over, they'll say the lights were really bright, I wanted to see if they were com compliant with the law, but it's all a ruse. Probably. Um, I have adjusted lights in many cars over the course of my life. I had no idea how they were supposed to be adjusted. I, well, Seems I about right. <coughs> well, that's the thing. I'd like point at a certain distance from a wall and try and get them to be like an even height and everything. And then, you know, look at how far out it would point on the road compared to the next car that was on with the lights beside it. Um, you know, it's um, lots of times the lights can be higher because the people have something heavy in the trunk. Um, the lights are in most of the cars aren't adjustable, but I know in Europe, a lot of the lights are adjustable. You can adjust the lights. I drove a half ton loaded with auto trader magazines from Edmonton to Saskatoon once when we had missed our shipment when I was working for the auto trader and uh, my lights were pointed in the sky and I blinded all sorts of people on that trip. Um, headlights are an issue. Uh, these days there's such a variety. People aren't just going to Canadian Tire. I'll tell you right now everything at Canadian Tire that they sell is going to be compliant with the law. Uh, but people can buy things on eBay now, and you have Amazon. no idea. Yeah, Amazon. You have no idea. I mean, I've seen lots of things on Amazon that are not permissible to be used in law in Canada that are you can purchase. Yep. Um, and uh, I bought something for you. That is true. <laughs> From You did. <laughs> exactly, online. Uh, not illegal to have. Not illegal to have, but illegal to use. Illegal to use. <laughs> but um, the... Um, so, so that's the problem. And when I read that tweet, I was very sympathetic because I understand the issue. Uh, and, you know, there's people for a while there had these bright blue uh, xenon or whatever the heck lights they were. And now everybody's got LED lights. You never know whether or not they're compliant with the law. Now, speaking of that thing that you bought me, which I won't say what it is, um, that brings us to our next mailbag question which is from uh, at van underscore city 632, who writes, can I drive in the HOV lane if it's just my dog and me in the car? And then that like straight teeth emoji. I don't know what that, that is called. Um, my dog has a personality. Therefore, he's a person. Paw emoji. And also, can Bentley get a shout out? And he attached a picture of Bentley, and I gotta say, like, not only can Bentley get a shout-out, but, like, if you don't have a dog sitter, Bentley can come stay with me. Just you may never get him back, because he's so cute. He's a very cute dog. <laughs> oh um, and shout-out to Bentley. Yeah, I, I shouted out to Bentley on Twitter. I said, Bentley driving his Bugatti should be able to go <laughs> on the HOV lane. Um, but not in can a Bugatti. Bentley? Not no. in a Bugatti. So, um, wait, I, w I just want to say that this question might sound like a bit of a joke, but I 100% researched this one day um, as I was driving to court and feeling annoyed with the traffic on the highway. I thought, well, if I had my dog in the car, like if the, if the legislation, because the sign says two or more occupants. I was like, if the legislation says occupants, then I could have my dog in the car. Well, apparently the legislature outsmarted me because they used the word person. So it must be a people. Yeah. And there's been plenty of times I've been driving out of Richmond and I've had my kids in the back of the car and you can't necessarily see them. And the police are parked under the bridge there in the Arthur Lang 
uh, overpass as you're exiting Richmond and they're like scoping out, looking to see whether or not. And often I forget, oh, I can go in this HOV lane because it's such a short one with my kids there. Um, but yeah, the police, uh, the police watch for it, even with my children in the back seat. I really enjoyed exploiting having my kids for the sake of using HOV lanes. Well, you know, there's one reason to have kids. So, well, who, besides... That's the only one, really. <laughs> as far as I, I can mean, tell. After, after the amount <laughs> I spent here for Christmas, I can tell you, I'm, I'm wondering about the expense. Yeah. Um, um, so, okay, but are there exemptions to the HOV rule beyond just two people? Well, there is... Actually, there's a lot of exemptions to the HOV lane um, rule. And um, a number of them you're never, ever going to see. But if you really, really, really want to drive in the HOV lane, there is the best exemption ever. And I just can't think that it's going to last forever. But if you have a electric vehicle, um, which is eligible uh, or set out as eligible by the manufacturer, then you can get a exemption and you have to apply for it. But it has to be a battery electric vehicle or a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, not too many of those around, or a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle or so an like extended range electric vehicle. Well, no, a Prius is not a plug-in hybrid. So um, some of them, like uh, I think a Volt, a Chevy Volt, oh, you okay. plug it in and charge it, but it's also got a, a motor in it. Okay. So just a Prius is not. A Prius is a, is a full-on hybrid, not a plug-in. So, um, but my neighbor's Fiat is a battery electric vehicle. It has to be highway capable. It has to be one that you've lawfully purchased that's, that meets the Canadian motor vehicle safety standards. Oh, so not a, <clears throat> not a weird imported car that a golf you cart. got off a, off a crate. Electric golf <laughs> cart. Um, the, it's a weird rule. It's like a very specific to the lower mainland yeah, rule. It's got to be BC registered. Yeah, what, the cars in the, out of the crates? Yeah, there's some bizarre cars in the lower mainland that none of us know how they got here in the last 15 years. Um, Right-hand drive things that you really wonder about. So that's most of the rules, and you've still got to apply for it. Um, and uh, once you get that exemption, you and Bentley... Uh, can go cruising down the road, but there is no electric Bugatti yet. I'm sure that is coming. The issue, however, uh, will arise particularly in the lower mainland. I mean, there's HOV lanes in Kelowna and a few other places, but in the lower mainland where most of the HOV lanes are, the issue is going to arise that there's just going to be so many cars in the HOV lane that it will no longer be advantageous to be in there. And that already happens on the weekends, on the long weekends. Uh, lots of times the uh, HOV lane can be blocked right up, uh, but it's a lovely thing when the HOV lane is open and you've got somebody in there and you can buzz along. All right. Including Bentley if you have an electric car. Well, there you go. That has been approved. <laughs> that has been approved. So, you know, a lot, a lot to work with there. Um, now, I have another question. <clears throat> Uh, from a uh, person underscore or a kid underscore prairie um, who apparently really does not like Donald Trump, according to his profile. It's, his bio says, despiser of Trump. Um, uh, so I, I pretty much you know. despise Trump too. Um, but he's just very, you know, open about Putting that. it in his profile. Yeah. Um, and, and I probably put it in some tweets, but not in a profile. Sure. He says, uh, say on a 100 kilometer an hour freeway, how slow would a person in the left lane have to be going before the police could charge them with impeding the flow of traffic? Asking for a friend, she seriously won't move right. Mm -hmm. Well, Kid Prairie's friend, 
move the fuck over. Yeah, just get into the other <laughs> lane. Get in the right lane. Um, um, it's there's no speed threshold. Essentially, the way that the like left left keep left uh, or keep right unless to pass law is written in British Columbia. Um, unless the traffic is bumper to bumper, like rush hour traffic, uh, you're required to drive in the right lane, except if you are actively overtaking another vehicle. And if you are in the left lane, you're required to move over on the approach of a vehicle from your rear. Even if you came here from Manitoba, you have to change your ways when you get here. If you're driving down the highway, you're supposed to be in the right lane. Uh, if you're passing another vehicle on the highway, you can go into the left lane. But you're not permitted to drive along in the left lane at 100 kilometers an hour and 100 kilometer speed limit. Your, your speedometer might be telling you that you're going 100 and you might be going 95. Of course, you might also be going 105. You might be driving under the speed limit. That person who's coming up behind you and their speedometer says 100 might be going 103. And if Get out of the lane. The idea the, there is to allow traffic to flow. If you're the only car on the road, drive in the right lane. You don't need to be in the left lane. There's no reason. You're not taking a left exit except le like very few locations in the province. And I will tell you that a lot of police officers look at this as something that they really feel they want to enforce to try and educate the public about it. General deterrence, specific deterrence for your friend. Uh, and they do issue these tickets uh, quite a few times. They've issued these tickets. And I've talked to people about the circumstances and talked to officers about it. And I don't think I've ever defended one. Uh, but in all the circumstances that it's been described, except one, um, I would say that it was uh, correctly served and that the police officer's sort of broad discretion there was uh, accepted. So, uh, the, and the one case that it wasn't, I think I did defend it. I think I did defend it, and there was a there was a reason that we succeeded with it. Okay. Now, uh, another person on Twitter um, asks us about red light cameras, um, and specifically uh, whether there is any way to dispute a red light ticket. So this is from uh, at uh, a white underscore Adrian Adrian White. He wants to know red light camera tickets. Any way to contest them? Yes. Right. Yes. But, but why? But why? <laughs> exactly. That's really what it comes down to. I mean, you know, look at the cost of the ticket. It doesn't show up on your driving record. It doesn't affect your insurance. There's no demerits. There's really no other thing than the cost of the ticket. There's a picture of you committing the offense or your vehicle committing the offense. You might be innocent. You may have... Unless your vehicle was stolen or taken without your consent, or there was a circumstance of necessity. But you also might be innocent because it can be wrong. And that's true, that it can be wrong. There are circumstances where it can be wrong. However, think about this. Chances are on that ticket, it's not a default you're guilty, right? You go to court to run the trial on that thing, you'll spend your day... You'll spend two days before it stressed out about doing it. You're not going to get a lawyer to do it because it doesn't make any economic sense. So you're going to go gonna take the day off work. You're going to take the day off work and you're going to lose the money from that day off work all to go there. And chances are you're going to lose. And I'm sure, you know, somebody's going to probably send me some tweet or something. I did it and I ran the whole thing and I won. I, you know, I won. And I'm, you know, there are cases you, there are 
we succeed on all sorts of other different tickets all the time. Lots of times when people look at it and they don't even think they're going to succeed, we still succeed. And the other but, thing is, even if the camera's wrong, good luck proving it because they file a certificate by, signed by an officer who doesn't come to court that says the camera was fine, everything was fine, it all worked fine. Recent changes to the Motor Vehicle Act eliminate uh, most of the requirements for them to prove signage. Uh, it's just it's just not worth it for your odds of success. You might succeed, but if you've got a 5% chance of success, even a 10% chance of success, are you going to spend the day missing work and going through all of that to to fight that ticket? Uh, you know, I just, we don't do it for people because we don't want to do it for people. Yeah. Uh, there's been a couple of occasions where people have said, you know, this is the reason I want to do it. And okay, we buckled down and decided, accepted it. But um, for the most part, it just doesn't make sense. And you've got to make economic decisions. These decisions are also economic decisions, right? Okay. And now we move into a category of questions. Quite a few people had questions related to distracted driving laws, which makes me want to pause here before we go into our next questions and talk about what the fuck, why are the distracted driving laws still so confusing? Why has the government not rewritten them? Like, I don't understand. Literally once a month, there is a story about somebody who got a distracted driving ticket that was wrong in some way, or where they didn't understand the law and they felt that they were wronged, or both. And they've been told things by police officers that are not accurate. Mike Farnworth comes out and makes statements about that the law not accurate. that somebody are not sent accurate. Me, somebody sent me an article with statements from yeah. him that uh, were not accurate. <laughs> if it's so confusing that even the person who's literally responsible for the law doesn't know what it says, it needs to be changed. Well, and he was there while Kashid was introducing yeah. the law. Yeah. And Kashid says, no, now, you know, you were the critic before, and now you're taking a position that's far from what I intended when we introduced this law. So you've got, you know, Kashid, the guy who wrote it, introduced it to the legislative assembly, you know, defended it in their, uh, uh, in their, um, when it came before the House uh, in committee, and he says it's one way, um, and the courts have given us a couple of confusing decisions that don't seem to really fit with each other. And then we've got the police with their very different interpretations mm -hmm. we've seen. And we've joked for a long time that there's cup holder officers and non-cup holder yeah. officers, but there's more <laughs> categories than that. Um, there's diff there, each police officer is actually different. So over the last couple of days, uh, I was tagged in a tweet by a woman who got a distracted driving ticket in Saanich. Um, and she got this because her phone was mounted she was playing music through the speakers of her vehicle on the phone, everything sounding very legally compliant, and she tapped the phone on the screen to change the song. Well, I hope she didn't want to change from in and out by the Accutones to something <laughs> else. Um, and a police officer pulled her over. Because that is an offense. Police officer pulled her over and gave, it, gave her the ticket. Now, technically, touching the phone to change the song violates the law. You can touch it, but only to accept, decline, or initiate a call. But the intention originally was one button phones, and now my phone has no button on the front. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> uh, the officer apparently told her at the roadside that she could touch it up to 10 times for any purpose and not get a ticket, but then gave her a ticket, which makes no sense, and ticketed her 
under the provisions of the Motor Vehicle Act that apply to N-drivers. So N-drivers, this is confusing too. An N-driver, what has been told to N-drivers for a long time, and this was in training material and official ICBC stuff, you cannot have a phone anywhere in the passenger compartment of the vehicle. And then some other people noted, well, you know, you could probably have it in your bag. That would be acceptable. But you can't have it connected to the vehicle. It's true. You cannot use a phone connected to a vehicle when you are a Class 7 driver, L or N. And that's because the it's not that you're violating something somewhere in the Motor Vehicle Act. You're violating a restriction on your license. So your license comes with a restriction, just like if you have to wear glasses while you're driving. There's the glasses restriction or corrective lenses. Um, just like for N drivers. No alcohol. No alcohol. You have to display uh, your N sign and the pa- uh, the passenger, one passenger other than family members. And by the way, if you ever go to traffic court and you have a ticket for violating any of your restrictions as an L or N driver, you'd better be able to state all of your restrictions because there are some justices in traffic court who will take your license away if you can't. Yeah, cross-examine you. And, they will say, hand your license it. to the police officer. Now tell me what the restrictions, what the restrictions are. are on the back. Um, which <laughs> I, I always think is cruel, but kind of funny. Um, it's surprising how many people don't get it right. And no, then they go oh, into the hallway with the police officer, and the police officer's like, look, dude, these are your restrictions. You better Remember go them? back in there. And Memorize them now. <laughs> you got to go back in there and explain it to the yeah. JJP. Um, so, yes, uh, back to cell phones. Well, this person uh, was given a ticket. Given a ticket, but she doesn't have an N. And it was the ticket under driving contrary to restriction by having a cell phone, using yeah. a cell phone. Yeah. So issued the wrong ticket. Issued the wrong ticket. And how it's often invalid. does this happen? You think about your fellow who yeah. uh, at the transit, um, the transit police uh, gave him the ticket for fare evasion. Um, mm-hmm. That was the wrong ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, and this again, the wrong ticket. Yeah, there's a lot of it. So it does happen, uh, which, again, is a good reason to call a lawyer. The the fellow who dealt with the transit ticket didn't have a lawyer. Well, I hope uh, that... Ended up being an appeal. I hope that the Saanich police cancel the ticket. Right now, all they've said to this, in media about this, is that they, uh, that you're not allowed to touch the phone at all, which, A, not true, and B, doesn't address that the ticket they issued to this poor woman is the wrong ticket. And is invalid and not a ticket for which she is eligible to get. It is a nullity. Well, it's still, yeah, it's maybe a nullity, but she's still going to have to dispute it and go to court. I know. So they should Uh, do the right thing and cancel it. They should. But. I I don't want to give them any more advice about it. But the the other thing is uh, back to the confusion. Back to the confusion. So we have a lot of questions about distracted driving because of this confusion. And I hate the term distracted driving. I don't care. Because careless driving, driving without due care and attention, or driving without reasonable consideration for others, those to me can be distracted. I know. The issue here is electronic device. Well, this is why I was saying distracted driving, because this is one of the questions. Uh, At cotton underscore veil asks, do dash cams and GPS devices fall under the same distracted driving laws as cell phones? Are they legal to use in a car now? different for a dash cam and a gps not necessarily i mean electronic device is is defined as a device which can transmit or compute or process data a dash cam does those things does but if it's mounted and you turn it on before you start driving and you don't touch it while you're driving 
non-issue. Exactly. Uh, GPS, similarly, electronic device, meets that definition, falls in the same category as a cell phone. Has to be mounted, has to be directions programmed before you start driving. And um, you can't touch it or, or interact with it while you're driving. In fact, technically, you can't even give your GPS voice commands while you're driving under the law. It can only be used if it's installed in a, a securely mounted fashion and the directions are pre-programmed before the route starts. So before you put your vehicle into drive. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is the law. And it's the, um, it seems absurd to a lot of people. Uh, the um, thing that's more absurd to most people is that they can't use their cell phone uh, to give themselves directions and hold it in their hand and lift it up to get directions with their cell phone. And I kind of understand that, especially I talk to seniors and they're like so happy about this idea of getting directions. They're terrified about driving. They're never going to use their phone to make a call or to text, but they really, really feel that, you know, it's, it's an added feature to their ability to drive. Uh, getting those directions and then when they end up getting a cell phone ticket um, it's a painful learning experience. Now I will tell you what I do which is maybe not permissible in law. We'll see. Uh, if the police officer wants to ticket me then we'll go to court and fight it out. <laughs> but I have a camera with no display on it. It's an electronic camera, no display. It's only got one light, the red or green. Cube thing. Polaroid cube. And I use that in my car, basically, in case I want to record something that I see happening on the road. Uh, if I want to take a photo of the person beside me with their cell phone at the set of lights, uh, I have it there. If there's somebody driving along and Instagramming beside me, I have it there. Um, you know, I may want to use it if I see some really bad driving in front of me and I want to record it because I think the person is impaired and they're a threat to the public. Uh, will I get a ticket for that? Probably not. I don't think any officer would think that uh, that it would fall under the definition because of the lack of sending and receiving or a screen to distract you. I don't um, think it would also even be noticed by the officer. But that's the main thing for me. <laughs> so Now they're going to be searching your vehicle. Looking uh, listen my... to your podcast, Doroshenko. Where's yeah, the cube? Where's the cube? <laughs> well, I have it with me probably two-thirds of the time. Okay. Um, so next question, um, we got a lot of distracted driving questions, but I tried to pick the two that sort of seem to be the common denominators. Uh, this comes from Rob Holloway at Rob Bar Cruises. Um, uh, he sounds like he's having fun. Um, if a judge makes a ruling that charging your mobile in your car unattached to a mount and face down is not distracted driving, why do some police continue to ticket? And... Why does the province not modify the law based on the judge's ruling? I'll leave this to you, Kyla, because you are the expert and you can probably explain it to me. Part of explain the, it to the public in a more pithy way. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem, and I learned this recently when I cross-examined a, a police supervisor in a trial. Part of the problem is that when there are legal changes or procedural changes in anything related to the law, they don't go and retrain their officers. They don't say, okay, in our, in our morning briefing session, we're going to spend 15 minutes doing training on this, this new case on cell phone laws. Like they did in Hill Street Blues? They don't do it that way? Exactly, they don't. Uh, or like they did in Police Academy. <laughs> Even that would be better. Um, no, they uh, they just send out an email blast. So something goes out from like the E Division headquarters to all police officers in, in British Columbia 
you know, update to distracted driving law or whatever the case may be. And it's up to the individual member to go check their email, read their email, understand it, and then implement it. And like, I mean, I check my work email and I usually read my work email. Um, although I will tell you a lot of emails will sit unmarked in, uh, or unread in my inbox for weeks before I have time to get around them if I think they're not urgent. If it's not someone answer, asking a question about their case, you know, um, it might take me a while to respond. And on my personal email, I never respond. <laughs> so uh, I don't, you know, I don't, um, I don't think that's an effective method of telling people changes in the law. Well, and the other thing is the way that it's um, presented in the emails I've seen for other things is often not straightforward. It's kind of like doesn't want to admit that we've been doing it wrong for the last 10 years. Uh, it's almost sometimes um, uh, sort of hiding the fact that we've been doing it wrong for the last 10 years. It's, uh, oh, it's not, oh, the court ruled in this way because we've been doing it wrong. This was, we never should have done it this way. It's, uh, it's sort of never spoken that way. So it doesn't assist you in reassessing your method the way that it could. Yep, exactly. So that's why police continue to ticket. Some police officers continue to ticket. And as far as the province not modifying the law, that I can't explain. I cannot explain why. Like, it, I would happily, on a weekend that I have free, maybe in February, as a, as a favor to the government, write, rewrite the distracted driving laws in the Motor Vehicle Act and the Motor Vehicle Act Electronic Device Regulation, which I would just then make the incorporate into the provisions of the act, a very clear distracted driving law that anybody could read and understand and go, okay, now I know what the law says. But the problem is, of course, also, how many people are sitting down and reading the Motor Vehicle Act? Me? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you reread it every few months. I reread sections every once in a while. Um, I actually reread the sections whenever I'm going to do a uh, ticket for something. See, like, this isn't, this is why I don't have kids. Because, like, if I had a baby, I'd be like, okay, time for a bedtime story. Section one, definitions. Yeah. <laughs> Accident. <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, yeah, and uh, the, it's really an issue of the government explaining it, explaining it in straightforward language. And in the language that they've done in the past, it turns out a lot of it's been wrong. Uh, and that was somebody else who worked for the government who read the law and said, this is, this this is, what, what, this it is says. what must be what it means. Yes. Um, so even those people who are reading it and writing the stuff that was on ICBC's website or in the driver training manuals um, were not accurate. Well, those are all the questions we have time for on we, the podcast. Did we, did we answer any questions? We well answered enough? a lot of them. Did we? Yeah. Okay. We answered all of them. We gave an actual answer to all of the questions. I don't know that anybody would be happy with the fact that they can't do anything really about the bright lights that are coming at them. Well, sucks. Life sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's a life on the planet. I mean, we, we could all be, we could all be um, living in villages that get wiped out by floods every year. So I guess it's not too bad. Sure. Um, now, if you have any more driving law related questions, you can always reach out uh, to me or Paul on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, 
or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889. And if you want your question featured on the podcast, you are going to have to wait till next year because uh, this only comes once a year because there's a lot more driving law that we have to talk about next week. Driving law drives the law.